Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Alrighty. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. It's good to see you all this week. This is just going to be a one-off. We're not beginning any new series or anything. This is just a one-off until Abuna Paul comes back, which I am very, very looking forward to him coming back, so I will not have to be doing Light in Life for a few weeks at least. Uh, no, no, but all jokes aside, we're very happy a bunch of the missionaries that were in Kenya have arrived back. They came back on Friday, most of them, and Abuna Paul will also arrive on Tuesday. Um, so we want to thank God for their safe return, and we also want to... Uh, be excited for the work that God is going to use them for in the church. Anytime a group goes out to do mission, it's usually they're the ones who benefit from the mission, and they come back with enthusiasm, excitement, and a desire to serve God uh, more fervently. Today's subject is a subject that I think a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people struggle with this idea of trusting God. And when you think about like I was evaluating over the last week, what are the major uh, conversations that I'm having about? Like, what are the subject matters? And they're all rooted in this idea of, is God trustworthy? Like, is, does he know? Does he see? Does he, is he aware of all the things that are going on in my life? And, like, is he trustworthy? Is he, like, hanging out, like, eyes closed, not paying attention to all the things that I'm going through, or is he very much aware and walking with me? And I think the question that all of us, maybe we don't say outwardly, but inwardly we ask this question, which is, God, can I trust you? Like, are you trustworthy? And I think the goal for every single one of us is we want to say, as King David said in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word, and in God I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Trusting God is one of those truths we think we understand until we're actually called to practice it. So the difference between theoretically saying you trust God, and then when you have a situation in which your faith is tested, that's when trust is really exposed on the level, so to speak. But we want to be like King David. We want to be these people that are really standing on solid ground. We want to be these people that really are fervently aware of how much God is doing and how faithful he's been. But it's hard. So my goal today with this conversation is for all of us to really be able to walk out by the grace of God with at least a desire to be like King David when he says, What can anyone do to me? I trust God. He is with me in the highs, the lows, and the goods, the bads, and the thick and through the thin. He's the one that I always can fall back on, and he's the one who guides my every footstep. I want to define actually what the word trust means biblically. So this Hebrew word, in when you see the word trust in the Psalms, because the Psalms, by the way, are uh, prayers. And King David is a person who probably at times deserved to question whether or not God was really with him. Here he is, this young shepherd boy, he's living his life, doing his thing, and all of a sudden, 
he gets anointed king by Samuel the prophet, and then all of a sudden he finds himself like a fugitive, like he's being hunted down by King Saul, he's hiding in caves, and he's done really nothing to deserve all the hardships that are happening to him. But every time you see in the Psalms, King David speak, he uses this Hebrew word, matach, strong word, which means to be bold, to be confident, to be secure, to be sure, to put confidence or to make to hope, right? Like, how did King David get to this point where he's, when he says, I don't just trust God, like I am fully secure in God. When he is hiding, when he's running away, when he is being hunted down like a criminal for something he didn't do, how can he say these words? And then how can you find in another psalm him say, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Like, how does a person get to the point where they can speak with this type of audacity that when you have trust, you're like a mountain? Like, a, a, a mountain, no matter what happens, it's not really moved, right? Like, the only stories we know in church history are mountain is moved, the Sama'an al-Qarraz. Like, he's the only one, in that, and it wasn't him that moved the mountain, it was prayer. It was like the God of the universe who moved the mountain. But mountains are not easily moved. Let's not, like, discount this and take it as if it's like another day in the life. Oh, mountain be moved. No, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They're mountains. Mount Zion is a very large mountain. But when you trust in God, you cannot be moved. How many of us want this type of faith? How many of us want this type of faith in which no matter what is happening in life, I cannot be moved? I know me first and foremost. I really would like that type of faith in my life. But here's the principle that I want you guys to focus on this morning. Trust is established in relationship. It's not forced. Like, I can go to my kid and I can tell him, hey, dude, like, trust me. Like, I got your back. But that kid only discovers that I am trustworthy through experience, right? There is a a big difference between intellectually knowing something and a difference between living it and experiencing it. How many of us can say that we've felt that God is trustworthy and we felt that our relationship is so strong with him that he is to be trusted? And again, it's not like I can tell you today, trust God. You're like, okay, Buna, cool. Now what? How do I do that? That's not the solution. The solution is not for me to tell you to trust God. My my challenge to every one of us is establish a relationship with God. Get to know him. And the more that we get to know him, the more that we will have trust in him. But the more we have a superficial relationship with God, the less capable we are to trust him. Like, if, if you just met me, I'm not trustworthy yet. I haven't earned your trust. Like, if you and I, like, I come up to you and I say, hey, just because I'm dressed as an abuna, you should trust me. Like, uh, you know, Maybe, yeah, I know they ordained you and all that stuff, but like, I, I got to get to know you. I got to see if you are worthy to be trusted. And what I'm trying to say to you is, is trust is not given, it's earned, right? And I, I don't want to flip that and say that, that God has to earn our trust. But what I'm saying is, is the only way that we can trust God is when we experience relationship with him and we see his hand upon our life. See, is God trustworthy? Trust is established in relationship. It's not forced. So the first stage that I think we have to understand is that 
in order to establish trust, there has to be first like a knowledge. There's a little bit of like, I know you, I know your character, I know who you are, what you're about. But if our understanding of God is totally distorted, like if you see God as a moral monster in the sky who is trying to smite you and strike you with lightning every single time you do something wrong, are you going to trust him? So you see how what you understand about somebody has an impact on how you live with someone? You see how our misconceptions with God have a big impact on how we live in relationship with him. If you see God as all he wants is for you to follow a set of rules, then what you do is you do everything in your power to live according to the law, but you're missing the person and the relationship that is to be established and the purpose of the law, which is to lead you to relationship. But you see how the knowledge that we have about God impacts how much we trust him. So I ask you again today, how much do you know God? How well do you understand him? How well do you know his character? How well do you know his word? How much have you spoken to him? How much have you felt his presence in your life? Again, I can tell you from here till next year to trust God. But it really starts in relationship and it starts with the first step, which is knowledge. Knowledge is understanding him mentally or intellectually, right? Mentally or intellectually. The next thing, the next step is through experience, right? So experience is knowing him what? Personally, personally. So knowledge is knowing him intellectually. Experience is knowing him personally. Like, I know you, God. You've had my back. Like, I know you, God. You've been with me in the highs and the low. I know you, God, like King David can say in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Like, I know you. You've had my back through thick and thin. So I can only say that I trust you through experience, right? So starts with knowledge, then with experience, and then trust is believing in him unconditionally. So it starts with knowledge is understanding him mentally or intellectually. Experience is knowing him personally. And trust is believing in him unconditionally. Unconditionally, no matter what circumstances are going on in my life, you're with me. Again, how can King David say, he says, not though I walk around the valley of the shadow of death. No, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Like, how do you get to that point? And that's what my hope for us today is to explore. We have some problems. We got some problems. Our problem is self-reliance. I don't need to trust you if I got this. I don't need to trust you if I'm so used to doing things on my own. I don't need to trust you if I'm taught that I can control everything with how successful I am career-wise, how much money I got in the bank, how, how much clout and social respect I have. We live in a society that is very self-reliant, so to learn to trust God is very challenging. But what happens when I'm taught that I can do things on my own and then I want to get into medical school, so I work my butt off. I work my butt off. I study day in, day out. I do everything that I possibly can. And then I find out that I fail the MCAT. I find out that my outcome of the exam that I had was not as I wanted to. But I worked my butt off. I did everything in my power. I worked and worked and worked. What happens when... You do everything in your power and things don't go the way that you want them to go. 
I relied on myself. And I thought that if I did A plus B, it would lead me to C. And I find myself in this moment that this is not the outcome that I expected to happen. I'll tell you a story. One of my good friends, he was in a seven-year medical program in New York. And then in his third year, you have to just literally take the MCAT and get like a mediocre score. Like a mediocre score. And then you continue on into the program. And this kid was like a really, really good student. Like he's smart, top of his class. Like he's legit, right? Like nobody in their wildest dreams would think that he wouldn't do well. But I want you to zoom out for a second and I want to tell you how this story ends up. So he fails his MCAT. He gets kicked out of the medical program. And then he's forced for a year to basically like either loathe in his pain and be miserable or to respond and say, you know what? I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to study. I'm going to retake it. But in the meantime, I'm not going to make medical school my everything. I'm going to focus on serving. So he serves for the next year, studies, retakes the exam. He does well. He gets into a better medical school. And he ends up becoming a successful interventional cardiologist. So if this person in this moment zooms in on this one experience and says, God has abandoned me, God has forgotten me, God is not trustworthy, then he's not seeing the whole global picture of what God's providence is in life. Another friend of mine, same situation, fails the MCAT, ends up having to basically go to a master's program for two years, and then he's basically struggling in this master's program, but he ends up meeting this nice girl in, 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 in MCAT. He ends up meeting this lovely woman. And this lovely woman ends up becoming his wife. And guess what? He ends up getting into medical school. He ends up fulfilling what his desire was. The moral that I'm trying to say is not the end result reaps in what you originally wanted. Is that sometimes God will put a little pause on a certain thing in our lives in order to direct us according to where he sees there's something greater that is in store. What about the person who is young, healthy, has the whole life ahead of them, and gets diagnosed with a terminal cancer. What happens when they sit and they think to themselves, this isn't the way things are supposed to be? What happens if I'm in a relationship in which this is the person that is the guy or the girl of my dreams, and then it doesn't work out? Am I shattered? Am I broken? See, the thing is, is we can do everything right. We can do everything that we ever hoped for. And things sometimes don't work out the way we want them to work out. But we struggle with that more than anything in this country. You ask these missionaries that just came back from Africa, they never ask the question of why. They never ask the question of why. They ask the question of what and how. Like, what am I supposed to do today, and how am I supposed to bless the community around me and take care of my neighbors? They're not asking the question of why, God, don't I have food? It's like, what do I need to do, and how do I need to do it? They're not focused on the question of why. We live in such an entitled society that we're very much focused on the why, and we need God to give us an answer instantaneously. I love this quote from St. Isaac the Syrian. Anyone who knows me knows I love St. Isaac. He says, God is greater greater than your illness, whatever it may be, greater than your deepest disappointment, greater than your greatest worry, greater than your worst enemy, greater than your most difficult problem, greater than life, greater than death. God is greater. Believe it 
Live by it, affirm it, claim it by faith, and use it as what? A pillow to rest your weary soul. God is greater. If your God is not greater, then the God you believe in is too small. He is not the God the church believes in. So we're accustomed to control. I do this. This is the way things ought to go. And things don't always go the way we want them. Problem number two is expectation of ease. So the issue is I can control things and I want things to manifest the way that I want them. And not only do I want things to manifest the way that I want them, I want them to be easy. I want them to be easy. I want my relationship with God and my trust in my relationship with God to be this like perfectly straight road to the land flowing with milk and honey. Is that historically anything biblical? Like any story in the Bible, do you find that the, the road to the promised land was easy? Do you find any situation in your life that anything that you really want, wanted was you just rolled out of bed and you got it? No, there is difficulty. There is a struggle that comes with being able to experience God's faithfulness, to experience his goodness, to experience what he has in store for us. But we have this expectation that if I, things are easy, then God has given me favor. But if things are not easy, then God has turned his back on me. Again, please somebody explain to me where Scripture says that God is supposed to make my life easy. Can't find it. You can't find it. If you find any Scripture that says, your life is going to be awesome because you followed me. Actually, the, the, the Scriptures are kind of a little bit not that encouraging. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Like, in this world, be prepared if you're a follower of me. Blessed are you, and they revile you and persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Like, he's telling you to be a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. But somehow, we've distorted God and twisted him to be this, like, genie in a bottle, this Pez dispenser, that my wish is his command. Don't judge the journey. Don't judge the journey. Don't judge the journey before it's over. See what the end will be. That guy in medical school, he easily can loathe and be in pity. That person in a relationship can easily loathe God and be in pity. Don't judge the journey before it's over. See what the end will be. Look what King David says again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, what? We will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't judge the journey before it's over. See what the end will be like. Principle number two, if you trust the person, you trust the path. If you trust the person, so if we've gotten to the point where I trust you, God, okay, like, I know your character, I understand you, I know that you're good, I know that your love endures forever, I know that those who trust in you are like Mount Zion. If I trust you, then I have to trust the path. Like, this path, like, you go with Moses, and you walk with Moses, and you leave Egypt, and you get to this Red Sea, and you see the chariots behind you. Wait, was this 
plan A, God? Like, was this what you had in store? You had in store to, like, do all these cool plagues that, like, showed us your might, and then you brought us to a Red Sea, and you're like, all right, cool, peace out, guys. Like, is that what he... No. You get before this river, you get before this sea, and God says, yeah, take a staff and put it in there, and it's going to split. What? Take a staff and put it in there, and it's going to, it's going to split. The very deep is going to become a walkway. The very deep that you see before you that's never been walked upon before, the untrodden road will be trodden upon. So if you trust the person, you trust the path. If my kid trusts me, even though he thinks I'm taking him to a crazy place, he's like, all right, dad, I trust you. Like, I, I know you. Like, I know your track record. I know the person that you are. If you trust the person, you trust the path. See, I wonder, in story after story in Scripture, you start from the beginning. You see Abraham. You move on, and you go to all the patriarchs. You go to Moses. You go to Joseph. You go to uh, Jonah. You go to all these different people. The road to get there seems illogical. It really does. Like, does it make sense that I discipline myself and I only eat fruit and veggies and I am fatter than the people that are Daniel and his three friends? Like, does it make sense that they throw us into a fiery furnace and the fiery furnace doesn't burn us, it burns the people around us? Like, does that make sense? Logically, it doesn't make sense. But what God is telling us today is if you trust me, you trust the path. Like, if you know me, if you know my character, you're not worried about the where and the why. You're worried about, like, who? You want to take me with you? I trust you. And I think that's the struggle for all of us, is that he says very clearly, I will be with you. You could take scripture after scripture after scripture. The narrative of the Bible is God is with us. Even he took the name Emmanuel, right? When he was born on this world, God with us. To demonstrate to us that he's not a God who's distant. He's not a God who's far. He's a God who's with us. He's a God in our highs. He's a God in our lows. He's a God in our brokenness. He's our God in our happy. He's our ha- a God in our joy. He is with us in all things, in all times, and in all places. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. No flame, no, nor shall the flame scorch you. Though you walk through fire... It's not going to burn you. But God, that doesn't make sense. I don't want to walk through this road. I don't want to walk through this road. It doesn't make sense. Though you walk through, this is the road I want you to take on. This is the place that I want you. And that journey, by the way, again, is not easy. I don't want an expectation of ease. I want to know that you are with me. So we said, principle one is we rely on, our, we, we rely on ourselves. Or the problem one, we rely on ourselves. The problem two is we have an expectation of ease. But if you trust the person, you trust the path. The key thing is when you look at all the people that trusted God scripturally, there is this idea of remembrance. Remembrance is that when one remembers the past, they're able to have faith in the present. Do you have a history with God? I'm going to ask that again. Do you have a history with God? Like, I have a track record with you. Like, you, I, I know you. You know me. Like, and if you have a track record with him, you're, it's easy when a situation happens to remember, remember God's faithfulness. So if you remember God's faithfulness in the past, 
It allows you to trust him in the present. If you remember God's faithfulness in the past, it allows you to trust him in the present. Look at the book of Deuteronomy. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater, you get there and you say, these people are greater than us. How can, we, can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. What is he telling them there? When you get out of Egypt and when I start to take you to places and you encounter these Goliaths, these big people, remember what I did. Remember all the things that I did in the past. Remember my track record. Remember my faithfulness. Remember the person that I am. So when I remember God's faithfulness in the past, it allows me to trust him in the present. I'm going to ask you today. All of us have a story that's been written. Take a second now and ask yourself, is God trustworthy? Is God trustworthy? The situation that you thought you would never get through, the struggle that you thought was too big, the, situ- the, the, the relationship that was too messy and dysfunctional, you never thought it would turn out to be good. Has God been faithful? See, when I trust him and when I know he has been faithful in the past, it allows me to trust him in the present. And by the way, it also directs my actions in the future. Look at what happens here. Y'all know, remember the story of David and Goliath. Y'all remember in 1 Samuel 17 when David is this young little shepherd boy and he starts to hear rumors of this Goliath. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's defying the armies of the living God? Like, who is this guy that everybody's so scared of? Everybody's like, yeah, David. That's like, it's actually, he's a giant. Like, he's a big dude. So he goes to Saul, and he says, let me fight him. Let me fight him. And Saul says to him, like, you're a little boy. Like, you're not trained in anything. Like, what are you going to do? And Saul said to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a youth. Kind of like messed up, right? And he, a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. Look what he did. He remembered the past. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. The God who delivered me from the lion and the bear is the same God who's going to deliver me from Goliath. The God who is with me to be able to defeat a lion and the bear, remembering my past, is the one that gives me the boldness in the present. When I know God's faithfulness in the past, I'm more trusting in him and bold in him and willing to do the things that seem to be crazy. Like, this is crazy for a little young shepherd boy to come against Goliath. And look what happens. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the uncircumcised Philistine. Y'all know how this story ends. Little boy, he picks up five smooth stones and a slingshot, and he throws them at the Goliath, and then he smacks him right in the forehead, and then he gets on top of him and chops his head off. We know the story. It's a crazy story. But that, you, you see the situation, and you never expect that that's going to be the end result. Like, you expect a Saul-like character to be the person who is going to defeat Goliath. Saul was strong, handsome in appearance. Everybody would cheer for him. He was like the dude, right? He's like the guy. And this little obscure shepherd boy that nobody really knows about is the guy that God chooses to use 
to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. My question to you is, do you remember God's faithfulness? It's very hard. Again, if I don't have a relationship, this conversation is going to be complicated because I don't know you to trust you. But if I know you, I have a relationship with you, I know who you are, I trust you. And I believe that even if the path is a little bit crooked, you still got me. Why? Because I remember what you've done in the past. And when I remember what you've done in the past, it makes me bold in the present. It makes me more trusting in the present. You all with me so far? So how do you remember? Write it down. Write it down. Like, I'm a big believer of, like, journaling or writing notes like some of the most amazing journals that i have are my journals from when i went to africa or my journal from when i was in egypt in my 40 days like the things that you write you remember god's handwriting and you see the things that he's done so that when you go back to these journals you're like oh man this is like really cool like wow god was with me oh wow i was struggling with this oh wow this is what was happening man look how good you are god look how that story unfolded and we see this historically in scripture we see when Joshua's taking the Israelites across the Jordan, he cro- they cross over in Joshua 4. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan. Each one of you should take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. And this may be a sign among you. He says, listen, when you're crossing, bring the stone with you. So you remember that you crossed this Red Sea, or this Jordan River, pardon me. When you're crossing, take this with you, put it on your shoulder and remember it. When you see God's handwriting and when you see a victory, write it down. Hold it. Put it on like your lock screen if you have to. Like show, do something that will remind you forever how much God has been faithful. Because when you come before the next obstacle, you say, oh, he's been with me there. Uh, There was that lion, that bear of the past. Oh, I got through that before. I'll get through this again. Think about even in our lives. How many of us have been in situations that we never thought we'd get through? When we got through it, we're like, huh, gives me more boldness and audacity in the next, right? So look how what happens in this story. You write it down, and then what does it say? The remainder of the chapter. When your children, or verse in 6 and 7, when your children ask you to come, when your children ask the time, when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them at the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Look at at this Joshua passage. This is like the perfect sort of illustration of this. You're crossing. You see the water dry up. Grab a stone. Put it on your shoulder. Then later on when your kids say, why are you so obsessed with this stone? Like, why? It's just a rock. Like, throw it out. Like, why are we carrying these stones all over the place? Well, let me tell you about this stone. Let me tell you about this stone. This stone is the stone that I carried when I walked through the Jordan. Tell others. There are certain people in your life that you need to tell certain things that have happened in order for when you go through another situation, your faith is tested, they remind you. That's the beauty of a community, right? So you have a group of friends, and they know you've been through a tough breakup. You have a group of friends, and they know that you've been through a sickness. And they see the work of God in your life, and they see his hand. They remind you in the next circumstance when you're doubting. That's the purpose of these memorial stones. The purpose of these memorial stones is to use as a means to demonstrate God's faithfulness. 
I want to tell you guys something. This is not easy. It's not easy. But I will tell you that if you go back to that verse early on, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Have you ever encountered somebody who's really trusted God? What does that person's life look like? They're willing to leave everything. They're willing to go move to Africa. They're willing to leave their medical careers. They're willing to serve. They're willing to start hospitals. They're willing to do all these different things because they trust. Bishop Paul, one of the people that I've encountered in my life, that these young missionaries just encountered, that man is a, is a mountain. He's a mountain. Like he literally, you encounter him, nothing moves him. Chronic malaria, severe uh, diabetes, nothing moves him. Nothing moves him. You encounter people that have trusts and they know God's faithfulness, nothing moves them. You could take a man like Bishop Paul, you put him aside. We see people in our churches, people that have had really severe cancer, really severe cancer, and continue to serve faithfully in this community and care for people that are in, in sick ministry, actually. You see people that when they're in the worst of worst situations, when they know God, when they know his faithfulness, when they know his track record, when they know what he's done, they encounter hardship. God is good. God is good. God is good. Not because he's intellectually good, he's experientially good. Not because I know it in my mind, but because I've tasted of his faithfulness. Not because somebody tells me about him in a sermon, but because I've seen the living God do the miracle and sign and wonder and do the thing that I never thought could possibly happen. I've seen it. I've tasted and I've seen. So you want to be a mountain that is not moved? You want to be someone who's confident, secure, sure? You want to be someone who trusts and no matter what happens, most important thing is to start. And to those who are in a relationship with the Lord right now, those who have started to get to know him, you know, the church has like three stages, right? You have those, if this church is a hospital, you have those who are what? Sick, right? You have those who are being healed and those who have become saints, right? You have those who are sick, right? Who are like, we want nothing to do with this. You have those who are being healed and you have those who have reached sainthood. All of us, we don't want to be in the, in, the, in the period where we're like, we're sick and we're cool, we're happy with our sickness. We want to be the people that are on the path to being healed. And the more and more we're on the path to being healed, the more and more we go to the physician and we see that he is trustworthy, the more and more that he starts to build our faith and build our trust in him. I'll close with this quote from St. Augustine. He says, trust the past to God's mercy, the present to his love, and the future to his providence. One more time. Trust the past to God's mercy. So if you're in the past and you've had a certain sin or a certain struggle, or you feel like you're not God, you're too far gone, trust in his mercy. Nothing that has been done in the past is too much for God to forgive. The present in his love. When I walk with you, I trust you. And when I trust you, you carry me. And when you carry me, 
I have faith in the future that no matter what happens, you are with me. Can God be trusted? Yes, 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 yes. Can you believe that but what I te- by what I tell you? No. Can you experience that by what you live? Absolutely. And what I encourage you to do and I encourage myself to do, this first and foremost, is that all of us together, we learn to trust God because the more that we trust God, the more that we are bold and the more that we're capable to do things that we never imagined we could do. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God make his face shine upon you always. May he be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.